Greetings, I am your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to the second season of my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the show of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. And it's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot, and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218, or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www tinakinneyclark.com that's t-i-n-a-k-i-n-n-e-y c-l-a-r-k-e hey everyone welcome to the show i have fred rutman here today he has an amazing story to share with us today and i already have a lot of questions but he was repeated he has repeatedly died And he calls himself repeatedly dead Fred. He had a series of one in a billion medical events happen to him. And he shouldn't be here, but he is. So he is a walking miracle. And welcome to the show, Fred. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So there's a lot to talk about today. How about you share any other additional background information on yourself and then just jump right into your story? Okay. Um, I had a pretty normal life before all this one in a billion stuff happened to me. I was uh, a college professor teaching uh, marketing and finance and uh, just going about day to day like most normal people. And then in the summer of 2009 this craziness just fell on me and uh changed the path of my life forever so 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 um, what happened in 2009 that's a great question tina (laughs) it's almost (laughs) like we talked about this okay okay you know what these earbuds are really annoying me so i'm just gonna um jettison them for now okay So in the summer of 2009, I started what the doctors initially thought was just passing out randomly. Um, And every time I would pass out, I would hit my head on whatever was the hardest object in the universe that was in the immediate vicinity and suffered a, a whole series of concussions. And the doctors looked at me and said, well, here's a middle aged white guy who's overweight so he must be having heart attacks 
And so they kept testing me for the enzyme that shows up when you have a heart attack and nothing was showing up. So I wasn't having heart attacks and it took them months to figure out what was actually happening to me. And what was happening to me is my heart was stopping, like literally stopping. And uh, so I was clinically dead, um, you know, close to 20 times and uh, which is not a pleasant experience. So um, after a ton of misdiagnoses, um, they actually figured out that I have something called uh, full heart block, which means the electrical system in my heart that tells it how to pump um, was dying and the electrical would stop. And then, you know, your heart stops, your blood pressure goes to zero, you get no blood in your brain, no oxygen in your brain, and you're, you're dead. <laughs> so uh, they have no idea why this happened to me. And they had no idea why my heart eventually started beating again after 30 seconds, a minute, three minutes, five minutes. It's just pretty unheard of. So that's how this adventure started. And, uh, and I was left with PTSD and post-concussion syndrome and, uh, and a very difficult path because I wasn't offered any traditional medical tools to help me in my recovery, nor was I exposed to people like you who have alternate versions of healing that is effective for many, many people. So, so did they ever figure out why this started or what this was caused by? No, it usually happens two ways. Either you've got a congenital anomaly which I think happens in like one out of 30,000 people, or, you know, you're in your mid seventies and this starts to show up because you're, you know, I guess your body parts wear out depending on your lifestyle. For me, they have no idea. It was, that's one of the reasons they kept mix, misdiagnosing me is because they said you're 30 years too early to have this. Mm -hmm. So they weren't really looking for it. When but, you when you passed out, did you recall anything or it was just suddenly you passed out and then you woke back up? Um, I remember how it happened. The dying part was relatively easy. So I would have what I call now a brain quake is it would feel like my brain was like just having an earthquake in it. And then um my field of vision would like just go to pinpoint black and I was gone and you know depending on where I was it took you know um we have recordings of me in the hospital being gone for like three minutes and five minutes which is apparently a, a really huge time to not have a beating heart and oxygen in your brain mm -hmm. um the the waking up part was uh, or coming back to life, I guess, was really unpleasant because your your entire body is trying to start itself up again. And it would be like if you were in the most brilliant fireworks display, but, you know, your eyes were closed, but it would actually hurt. You could actually feel the explosions and it was so bright. It was just like so, so bright. 
um, that it was painful. Um, and I, this is just what I was seeing in my brain. Um, and that's, that was the most difficult part of, of this experience. Um, well, maybe not the most, but it was certainly unpleasant. Yeah. So how did you go about healing this or what was the, what helped you to come back from this? Cause this is pretty remarkable. Well, initially it was just my instinct and it was getting more exercise, try to eat a little better. Um, and, and my intuition told me to start learning because my brain was so wrecked. I had memory issues. I had an entire language knocked out of my brain. Uh, I'd been reading Hebrew since I was five years old. And when my friends brought me my prayer book in the hospital, I could not read Hebrew anymore. Like the entire language had been knocked out of my brain. I had memory problems, balance problems, speech problems, motor skill problems. Um, but something told me to, to try learning again. And I was a college prof at the time, and I had to al almost relearn everything that, that I had been teaching. That's how messed up. But, you know, your body's an amazing tool. It's very smart. And learning things at a high level helps your brain to rewire. It helps the neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. But I'm located in a major city and we have some pretty high-end medical people here and nobody offered me any sort of, of path to recovery. Uh, they almost ignored all the concussion issues. They said, we fixed the heart issue. We gave you a pacemaker. That's going to keep you alive. Have a nice life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of mind blowing. Well, it was mind blowing, but it's, so that, was it because they didn't know what to suggest for recovery or it, it seems kind of abrupt to do that to someone who lost his memory and were having all these challenges yeah i i think the the brain is probably the biggest mystery in the body and they don't really have a grasp on the, the current research for the most part um, on how, how to help people recover from brain trauma. It's just starting to become a more recognized field. So I don't want to seem like I'm bashing the medical community because I need the medical community. <laughs> you don't want to piss off the people <laughs> who are you know going to keep you alive. So the uh i think the pra the practicing medicine is probably 20 or 30 years behind the research uh on how to help with brain issues and things like that so how did you relearn what you forgot what was your approach well i had about 500 textbooks in my possession at the time cuz i was teaching and uh when you teach in a college or a university, the book companies all want you to use their textbooks. So they send you, you know, 10 or 20 books a year, whatever it is, to try and get you to, uh, to switch over to their product. Uh, 
and um, I was already interested in, in the subjects and I was hoping to go back to teaching. So I just started learning the stuff from my textbooks. And then, you know, technology was becoming so much more important in, in the classroom that I just had to keep learning about new ways people were using tech to, to teach in the classroom. So that stretched my brain in, in a way it hadn't been stretched previously. So those were, that was the main way I went about learning. Um, I didn't have a formal plan. It was just something that seemed natural to me. I didn't well, actually know. For example, what, what, you were reviewing your textbooks and, and then were you recalling anything? Did you go, oh, okay, this sounds familiar, or I, I'm starting to remember this now? Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a lot of that came back. It didn't come back in a linear fashion um, because mm -hmm. your brain just has its own way of doing things. And uh, some things came easier. The finance part, which is very math heavy, uh, took a while longer. Um, then the marketing stuff, which is just pure creativity for the most part. So that was uh, difficult. And learning the social media and, and all those things was fun. It was new. So it was, it was also a challenge, which made it extra interesting. So that's the way I, I went through things. But I certainly didn't realize that was going to be a key component of my recovery. Yeah. What about Hebrew? Were you able to relearn it? I've relearned a lot of it. It's still not, you know, it's been 12 years, I guess. Um, and it's still not up to where it was, but it'll get there eventually, you know, over the next 40 years or so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so no more issues passing out, dying for three minutes and that's all over with. Well, I wish I could say that was true, but it really wasn't. Um, you know, we we have this vision because of what we see in TV shows and movies about how medicine works so perfectly. And if somebody ends up in an emergency room, you know, there's going to be, you know, the six exact experts that are needed that show up <laughs> in 30 seconds with and all the medications they need are in a tray beside the patient and uh, stuff like that. And it really doesn't work that way. Um, unfortunately, I, I experienced that too many times. So that's why um, statistics show that if you have an incident like I did, um, the odds of survival are like between zero and 3%. Um, they go up a little bit if you're in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still not fantastic. I think it goes up to about 30%. So I wow. am really, really, it's, yeah, I, I don't know for sure why I'm still alive, but I am. So in 2013, I was feeling better and I was ready to try to go back to work. And it was like Groundhog Day. This all started happening all over again. Uh, I started collapsing and hitting my head. And again, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. 
and then um, they figured out that my pacemaker was failing. And I'm 100% dependent on these pacemakers to um, provide the electrical spark that my heart needs to, to keep going. And one of the pacemaker wires or leads as they're called uh, cracked. And usually when that happens, it's part of a bad manufacturing batch and they have a recall. And uh, because I'm special, I wasn't part of any recall batch. So this was just something that was unique to me. And uh, they tried to, um, the plan was to just replace the wire. And that plan didn't go to plan. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's that saying, you know, man plans and God laughs. Mm -hmm. So um, the, uh, they went to do my surgery and, uh, you know, you're, you're awake during this surgery now. They used to put you to sleep. First pacemaker, I was totally asleep. I didn't know what happened in that surgery. Mm -hmm. This one, it's like going to the dentist. They just numb up the area. And um, you're watching this huge scoreboard with all your vital signs and everything in front of you. And I was watching the scoreboard. And I just went, oh, I'm gone. Cause I just had that brain quake and I knew before the doctors knew that my heart had stopped again. Mm. And I'm, I'm guessing they had just moved the pacemaker when they were starting to cut me open and, and it short circuited it. And uh, then everything went nuts again. And uh, that was also really unpleasant. <laughs> oh. the... That is so bizarre that, you're awake for that. Is it because it's safer to keep you awake than put you totally under? I, I think they've realized that the less anesthetic they can use on people, the safer it is. Yeah. So it, um, it was really bad. And so, you didn't feel anything, just maybe tugging or movement. Yeah, you feel like, you know, when you're, getting dental work done you can feel maybe a pressure or something yeah yeah but it's not really a true feeling mm -hmm. um and and that's what i felt and uh so you they put these things i call them pacing pads they have a formal name but i can't remember the name so they put one on the front side of your chest and one on your back in case something crazy like this happens and it provides the the current that your your heart needs to keep beating um unfortunately it hurts like hell i mean you're you're literally getting shocked so when they revived me i i really thought somebody was just kicking me in the ribs uh, i didn't really understand what was happening and i said you know okay i'm back you guys can stop with the cpr or whatever you're doing to me and then uh I heard one doctor say, you know, shut the F up. We're trying to save your life. And, a, and the doctor, another doctor says, no, keep talking. We want to know you're okay. And then they decided they had to find a temporary pacemaker to, to insert. They had to stop the surgery, except they didn't know where the temporary pacemakers were. They had to go searching for them. And then they only brought back half of it. 
So they, um, then they had to go search again. And uh, then I was uh, literally told I was on bed rest. I couldn't move. I couldn't move my body because the temporary pacemaker was very precariously attached and keeping me alive. Mm-hmm. So then they had to try again a week later because um, they had to make sure I didn't have any sort of infection before they tried again. And that surgery didn't go well either. <laughs> but they they eventually figured it out. Um, it's It's really weird when you're lying on the table and the surgery that's supposed to take 20 or 25 minutes, you look up and the clock's like, it's gone an hour. And then, you know, the surgeon's not working on you because he's on a video call with some other surgeon around the world mm-hmm. because he can't do what he's supposed to do. And they're trying to figure out a solution. And uh, that that's what happened. But they eventually fixed me for a while. So I'm just still reeling from the fact that the doctor told you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, maybe that's just my memory, but that's that's what I remember. So here, here I'm going to go in a little rant now. Okay. So when some, because I'm an energy healer, you know, I don't look at people as just bodies. You know, we mm-hmm. have a mind, body, and soul. We have emotions. When you are being operated on, you're in a very vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. Very vulnerable. I mean, your life is in other people's hands strangers almost you don't even know who these doctors are you don't know the nurses coming in and out and the medical staff has got to get this concept Mm -hmm. that whatever you say whatever you're feeling in the room with the patient affects the patient Mm -hmm. and can even manifest for example, in scarring or difficulty in healing. Because even the emotions of, say, the doctor was angry, the nurse was anxious, the, you know, all those emotions swirling in the room Mm -hmm. can affect that very vulnerable person laying there being operated on. And can Mm -hmm. manifest into scarring, for example, or a keloid in the scar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the the room or lab that they do these types of procedures in is sitting at about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Because the system they use to see where the wires are going inside you, I think it's called a fluoroscope or something creates a tremendous amount of heat so they have to super cool the room uh if they had a room with an environment like your office (laughs) (laughs) you know with the super cool crystals and the colors and everything and uh, we talked a little bit about your super cool globe in the background there yep right here my crystal globe yeah very Um, handy for sending healing to the entire planet or mm -hmm. any any area of the planet that you like Yeah, I I think instead of making the environment so sterile, and I realize there's a huge cost to to changing all the room environments, uh, I think that would be very helpful to patients. You know, both mentally and physically. It would make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. 
but just everybody has to be accountable for their feelings and what comes out of their mouth, mm -hmm. especially in that very vulnerable state when someone like you is being operated on. Or, for example, if I'm working on a client and I'm giving them Reiki or energy healing, I'm very deliberate about what I say. I clear my mind. I focus on that person. It's not about me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I've worked on people who had stage four pancreatic cancer and was told they were going to die in three to four months. But I never treated them like they were about to die. Because mm -hmm. now, at that moment, when I was working with them, they're alive. I, I don't think anybody here had malicious intent. Um, I, I think, you know, surgeons are notorious for having um, less than optimal social skills to start with. <laughs> and, you know, in, in any industry, you've got, you know, the total superstars, then the other people that are like, how did you get hired kind of thing? You know, and why are you still working here, even mm. though you somehow got hired? Because you're obviously not really good at your job. And um, so I just, on the front end of my journey, I encountered a bunch of people that were on the latter side, you know, the like, why are you here? And why aren't you listening to me? And uh, fortunately, I've, I've made it through. And maybe one of the reasons I've made it through is to tell people you know that there is this problem in the system and that there are in certain cases alternative ways to to heal yourself and bring you back to a better place mm -hmm. um, and uh, you have to advocate for yourself very strongly or have somebody who can advocate for you uh, as i said before you don't want to say to the doctor what the fuck are you doing like you're an idiot when this person's about to operate on you. And he shouldn't talk to you mix. that way either. You know, mm -hmm. if you're speaking, that's a good thing. You're alive. You're cognizant, you know, mm -hmm. work with that. Mm -hmm. But I'm a sensitive person. Mm -hmm. So if I was you, I would have fired that doctor. <laughs> yeah. I would have had words with that doctor. But um, so luckily, man, you're here. And I want to have you reflected on why you're here and why, why has this happened to you? And what have you learned? How have you changed? Well, I've always been a learner. So I've always tried to improve myself in whatever way I could find to tweak. Uh, hasn't always been successful so I didn't have any of those wow I was dead and now I've got a second chance kind of thoughts mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of reasons one I was shell-shocked for a long time and yeah. to a, a degree I still am um, but it's just my natural process is to keep trying to to upgrade myself and I've stopped trying to figure out why, because I'm not going to get a reason. You know, I, if you're religious or not religious, whatever your, your outlook on life is, uh, I'm not going to have a conversation with God. I mean, 
if I do, it's a one-way conversation. It's me talking to God and, uh, you know, not getting a lot of direct feedback. So I can't know why this happened to me. I can just make my best guess as to what my course correction should be. Mm -hmm. And it's to share with people that, you know, really bad stuff can happen to you, but you can still come out on the other end and have a better quality of life and help other people have a better quality of life. Yeah, I love that. Hmm. So you have found one of your solutions to being more healthy is intermittent fasting. So can you talk a little bit more about how that has helped you? Sure. Um, I attribute intermittent fasting to the great majority of my recovery. Once I started intermittent fasting, um, I made quantum leaps in my neurological recovery. And I've never been more confident or more clear thinking than I am now, which is pretty remarkable. Um, So I remember asking my therapist, you know, what do you remember from when I started to tell you this story way back when? And she said, I'm amazed you're any degree of functional. So I, I was that battered. And the intermittent fasting um, was introduced to me by my cardiologist. And I was waiting in an exam room in 2018. And he came in and he threw a book at me. And the book was The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And that was my introduction to intermittent fasting. He said, buy this, read this, do this. But only after you get clearance from all your doctors. I've got like six primary doctors. Mm-hmm. I'm special. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that's, a, that's a, I guess, a medical disclaimer for, for anybody that's going to undertake something like intermittent fasting or exercise. You know, you have to get clearance from your medical people and uh, our general guidance is if you are pregnant or breastfeeding or you've had an eating disorder you really shouldn't be doing intermittent fasting unless you're really really medically supervised so um, so I read the book and it made perfect sense to me the science was solid Uh, Dr. Fung is a nephrologist here in Toronto, and he's become sort of like the the major platform for intermittent fasting in the world. He was having a lot of patients lose kidneys and limbs because of uh, type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And he found that he was reversing type 2 diabetes in, in a ton of his clients by getting them to intermittent fast. And when all this started happening to me in 2009, they also told me I was type two diabetes. And I had no idea that that was going on with me. And they immediately put you on metformin and insulin and tell you, this is a chronic condition. And your life's going to go to shit and you're going to have a painful end of life and all these, you know, really optimistic outcomes. And it's just not true for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It it can be reversed. And within six months of me starting intermittent fasting, I was off these medications. 
So I, my blood sugars were back to normal ranges and, uh, and I was feeling great. So what I understand there's a big part of the 24 hours where you don't eat anything, I guess, and you just mm -hmm. drink. So how's a typical day for you when you're fasting? Well, my typical day now is very different from when I started. Uh, we were very cautious when I started because of all the medications and trauma that I had been through. Uh, so I initially did what's called a 12-12. So it was a 12-hour fast and a 12-hour eating window, which doesn't mean you can eat for 12 hours straight. Mm -hmm. It means during that 12-hour period, you can have your two meals or your three meals or whatever you decided on. And it's not a dry fast. I follow uh, the protocols of a woman named Jen Stevens, and she advocates something called a clean fast. And she has a great book uh, um, called Fast, Feast, Repeat. If you want to look into intermittent fasting, it's probably the most practical book out there that you can get on the subject. Mm -hmm. um, and with... I started in May of 2018, and by September, I had moved to a one meal a day protocol, and I was fasting like 23 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't anything I planned. If, I, if somebody had talked to me about doing one meal a day and 23-hour fast at the beginning of this, I would have just looked like, you guys are insane. <laughs> you know? And then I learned that people do, you know, 36 hour fasts and 40 hour fasts and, and things like that. And it's just like, no, no, like that's not normal. Um, but it's just like anything else. You train your body to do it and it does and it does it, it does it, it does it. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's mostly the mindset. Um, your body wants to heal itself. Um, as you know, from your practice. And, you know, we just get in the way of it uh, by our own habits and behaviors. And your body wants to live a lifestyle like this, where it does have the opportunity to heal itself. I ended up being a moderator in uh, one of Jen Stevens' Facebook groups and had about 335,000 members. So I've wow. seen you know, the full gamut of, of what intermittent fasting does for people. And when the doctor proposed this to me, it was initially for weight loss. And that's the way the doctors were treating it back then. I say back then, it's only four years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it was another type of diet that they could prescribe to you. Uh, but now, as we're catching up with the research, we see that intermittent fasting prioritizes healing for most people. Uh, and then it gets around to the weight loss. Mm -hmm. It helps you normalize your hormones and gets your gut bacteria biome, you know, all ship shape and gets rid of inflammation and, you know, all sorts of things. So it's, um, it sets in action neurotropic agents and, neuroplasticity to help your brain rewire itself and just so, all sorts of amazing things well you th um, if you think about it when we sleep we're not eating or drinking so it is a type of fast 
And mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in sleep being the number one thing you need to do to heal. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to heal from anything, you need to sleep and you need to rest. Number one. Yeah, and, and that gives your body time to to work on things. You know, if you talk to like bodybuilders and super hardcore athletes, the the gains they say aren't made while you're working out or training. The gains are made while you're sleeping and your body can start, you know, knitting itself up. Mm -hmm. so, so when you're fasting 23 hours a day, what are you drinking? I am drinking either uh, plain water and we can drink black coffee or green teas, but with no sweeteners or artificial sweeteners or creams or anything like that and and that's it um you can drink a carbonated water um i'm actually drinking perrier right now to give them a plug so you can send some sponsorship dollars our way <laughs> and then and, that one meal you have what's that like uh well it's much better than i was eating six years ago um it's just you know a meal like you would get in a restaurant. That's how we try and portion things. Um, you're not trying to replace, you know, 2000 or 3000 calories in one meal because a lot of those calories are already in your body, in your body fat. And that's what you're trying to get your body to do is use that existing body fat as a source of fuel to go into ketosis. And you're body for most people really likes being in that state it gets rid of brain fog and um once your insulin levels go down because you're not eating every you know two hours and things like that mm -hmm. it just changes everything in your body it's a domino effect um even to something like women that have pcos the polycystic ovary syndrome mm -hmm. um We've heard a lot of stories about how women who had that and started intermittent fasting suddenly were able to conceive. And it's amazing. not just a few women. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the doctor's name who was on Jin's podcast. Uh, Cecily Ganhart. She's an uh, OBGYN. And, and she recommends intermittent fasting for a lot of her patients who have fertility issues particularly pcos yeah i need to pick up that book and read it obesity sure. code yeah that's a good one and believe it or not it came out in i think 2016 uh -huh. and it's all already sort of out of date because of how much more research uh has gone into it but it's a really good foundational science book i think the fast feast repeat by by Jin is a more practical book on how to fast. It gives you more options because um, what works for me might not work for you because we're all bio individuals with our own energy fields and uh, different gut biomes and all sorts mm -hmm. of different factors. So. Yeah. So you, we mentioned we were talking before we started recording the show about near-death experiences and 
you mentioned that you didn't have those, but you did have out-of-body experiences. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, I, I feel kind of ripped off. I'm, I'm going to be upfront about it. <laughs> you know, you, you read these stories about people that have these, you know, come to the light and you see all these relatives that you've been missing and, you know, whatever deity you believe in. And it feels so glorious and everything. So, you know, it happens once and you don't see that twice you know when you're getting into the upper double digits it's like come on give me like one but nothing i didn't have anything like that it was just fade to black and and until my heart decided to start beating again mm -hmm. I, I did have a few out of body experiences um and i don't know if that's you know the brain just playing tricks or or you're you know that's actually your soul leaving your body and you know looking down i remember feeling very confused and i remember when i was on a bike path um and it was dark out usually it's where well traveled during the day because it goes to a to a high school so there's always lots of people on this path but at night it's almost nobody and and my heart stopped and i saw myself just you know, tangled up with my bike lying on the path. And it was sort of like there was a tug of war going on with, with my soul, if that's what it was. You know, do I go up? Do I go down? Do I go back into the body? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And that's what I remember mostly from, from those scenarios, that I was just floating above, looking down, and, and in a state of confusion, I guess, Yeah. ultimately. It went did back you, into my body. Did you ever look around and see anything or you were just more yeah. focused on your physical body down below? It's an interesting question. Um, I'll have to ask my therapist if I talked about any of that in our sessions, but I for sure knew where I was. I knew I was in this environment in the middle of nowhere and that there was nobody going to come to help gonna there was nobody going to to come to my rescue yeah uh, so there was really nothing to look at i mean it was you know it's pretty much pitch black where i was so uh, but i i was aware that i was totally alone and how how has your faith and spirituality been affected by your experience I, I've always believed in in God. I come from uh, well, I'm, I'm more like a practicing Orthodox Jew now, so you have to have a strong belief in your faith, however you want to frame it, um, in God. I I don't think that I've had any revelations that said I believe more in God now, or I believe more in heaven or hell or anything like that. Uh, I am stricter about making sure I get to pray a couple of times a day. Um, we're supposed to optimally practice, go pray three times a day, which is really hard to do in a modern lifestyle. It, uh, it takes a lot of planning and energy to, to get to synagogue and uh, pray with the congregation and try and keep up, which I can't keep up anymore uh, because the, you know, all the Hebrew and everything has been knocked out of my brain. 
So, uh, I think the most powerful part of this is prayer for me is like my version of meditation. And I think the rabbis from 3000 years ago, or whenever they came up with this system, they recognized that, you know, getting into some sort of flow and super focusing on, you know, the words in the prayers and all that affects your body physically. Uh, you know, they wouldn't understand how, how much it affects us like we do today, but they knew it certainly had an effect. And that's why biblically, uh, you know, a lot of religions have fasting uh, as part of their protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're just finishing Ramadan, which uh, depending on who you talk to, they love it or they hate it. Mm-hmm. And cause it's a dry fast. It's even though it's only for, you know, sunrise to sunset, it, if you have a construction job and you're sweating all day, mm-hmm. that, that's brutal. It's just brutal. Not a knock on the, on the faith. I'm just talking about that experience. Yeah. So, I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you did. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you don't really hear God talking to you, but you talk to God. Mm-hmm. Do you think, think that's that... a? I think that's a Jerry Seinfeld joke, actually. Is you it? Know, I never watched the you... show. I'm from New York City, but I couldn't stand Seinfeld. <laughs> 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 I think it was too neurotic for me, or mm-hmm. maybe it it was too familiarly neurotic to me, and I just couldn't watch mm-hmm. a show about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think his joke was something like uh you know if you talk to god that's pretty normal if god's talking back to you that's probably schizophrenia or something along that lines i think that god talks to us all the time Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily in words but it could be in signs Mm -hmm. it could be other people's words you know Mm -hmm. it could be in feeling and, and those kind of things that it's more than just Oh, I hear God talking to me. Uh, I like that outlook. My yeah. uh, my friend Val, who passed away in I think 2018, um, she we'd known each other since grade seven, and she her philosophy was everybody comes into your life for a reason. It's either for you to teach them something, or them to teach you something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you meet one of those rare people that it keeps going back and forth and you have these lifelong relationships and sometimes, you know, you're done in two years and you, you were close with that person. And then you're totally out of each other's lives. Um, One of my rabbis has a philosophy that God does talk to you, but you have to be on the right frequencies and you have to be open to, to hearing those messages. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it sort of reminded me of, um, the old car radios now for you millennials you'll have no idea what i'm talking about where you actually had to have a um, a dial which you would try and tune into a frequency mm-hmm. and sometimes you just couldn't set it to the right station and all you'd hear was static and you wouldn't hear what's being broadcast right and and i think a lot of us just don't have that connection 
to the right frequency for a variety of reasons. Uh, a lot of it being that our bodies just aren't that healthy right now and aren't operating optimally. Well, I also think that we're not taught how to communicate with the divine directly. I think that's a great point. Um, we don't know how the divine is communicating with us, you know, mm -hmm. and a user but, manual would be really helpful. <laughs> but I think synchronicity is one of those languages of the divine, you know, when things just kind of align themselves for you. Mm -hmm. and, and I call it the, I call it magic, you know, because that's the world that we live in. Actually, we live in a magical world and we're magical beings. And we just have to pay attention to the magic happening around us. Mm -hmm. And when the synchronicities start happening, it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's sourced from divine. I think that's type of communication. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, the first thing we read in, in the Old Testament is let there be light, right? I mean, which is energy. Mm -hmm. So, um and there's so many different forms of, of energy and wavelengths and things like that that are there for a reason. Um, I was on a podcast a few months ago uh, about law of attraction, which is seems to be a lot of uh, synchronicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not using their language because I'm not familiar enough with their language, but you brought it up, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> well, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> But you are working on some books. So can you share what those books about? What's the timeline for them being published? And what's up next for you? Well, um, because I haven't been able to go back to work, um, you know, when you're out of the market for a while, it doesn't matter how talented you are for the most part, that people are just going to discriminate you for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't been able to get back to work at the college the i started writing this book more as a journaling experience for some cathartic reasons and it became part of my healing process uh, so the book is called the summer i died 20 times which is you know actually what happened to me mm -hmm. and i've got it with a couple of publishers right now and we're waiting decisions on whether to move forward with it and how we'll move forward with it. Um, when it happens, it'll happen pretty quickly. And, you know, they can publish books much more quickly than they did 20 years ago. So um, one of the challenges in writing this book is that your brain heals at its own pace and you don't remember everything in a linear fashion. So I might be remembering something from 2010, but it didn't show up till last week. Mm -hmm. you know you have to try and insert it back into the book and it's sort of a never-ending process yeah uh, like a puzzle I, yeah I, I did a lot of writing in my marketing career and you know when I was younger I worked I wrote for my university newspaper and um, you know a couple of regional papers and stuff like that I never envisioned trying to write a book it is uh, one of the most challenging things I've ever done Besides trying to stay alive. <laughs> Which you're doing so well. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, Fred, for sharing your amazing story. This is probably one of the best stories I've ever heard, frankly. And it's a miracle that you're here and you're definitely here for a reason. And um, just keep going. See what happens for you. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. He was a Holocaust survivor and a, a psychologist, psychiatrist. And he said, um, oh, shoot, I should remember this, but I can't. Um, he said, if you have hope, you can you can get through anything. And that's such a, a striking philosophy. It's so simple, but there's no limit to hope. It's not like a commodity, you know, you can... You don't have to buy it in the store. You don't have to wait for a broken supply chain to find it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to search for it and grab it and, and, and use it as one of your superpowers. Yep. It's a feeling and it's an intention. Just like love is. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, I've loved being on your podcast. Oh, awesome. And if anybody wants to ch- uh, learn more about Fred, I'll have all his information in the, the episode notes. Thank you. Much Thank appreciated. you. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook. And like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.